0: Welcome. This is one hour of sunshine. I'm your host, Megan Joy Haverta. We are filming out of the sandbox in Santa Barbara, California, a co-working hub for entrepreneurs and change makers. This show is for business leaders willing to finally admit that they use their intuition to make business decisions and to navigate their lives. This show will elevate and normalize intuitive skills in the workplace and allow such skills to be seen as great assets to companies, organizations, communities, governments, and families. Our guest today is Fiona Ma. Fiona is the current Board of Equalization member, former California Assembly member, and the Democratic candidate for California State Treasurer. Every show before we talk with the guest I share an intuition of the day Sometimes it comes in a dream. Sometimes it comes the day or two before and sometimes it comes in the morning So this morning I tuned in and I read a bunch of my newsletters and blogs and social media feeds You know just to see what's out there today. How are people feeling? What are they talking about? and I really I really got a deep sense of um The desire for hope Mm. (laughs) Uh, really getting the sense that people want to know they still matter that china does not own us that russia does not control us and that main street is still ours to run and nurture for generations so for the audience listening today my advice is this if you believe that your voice matters it does if you believe that you can improve your community you can. If you trust in thy neighbor, they will trust you back. We are all energy, and our belief systems matter. We have a very powerful and focused guest today who will be sharing her story about never giving up and going after her best life and living out her full potential. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you, Megan. (laughs) So you're a CPA by training. Mm -hmm. You're the wife of a fireman. Um, You are the current Board um, of Equalization member, and you are running for California State Treasurer on the the Democratic ballot. So tell us more about you.
1: Well, (laughs) where do we start?
0: (laughs) I guess you were born in Long Island. (laughs) I was born in
1: Manhattan. Um, My parents uh, were both born in China, so I am the oldest daughter, Mm -hmm. uh, oldest child of immigrant parents. And they worked um, during the week, and I stayed with my grandparents in Chinatown until they saved enough money and they could afford their first home. And they decided to buy a house in Great Neck, Long Island, Uh uh because of the excellent school system. Mm. Back then, right, public schools are extremely important, so they bought a house. Uh, That's where I was born and raised and lived until I finished college, basically, and it was a really nice community Um, good people Um, most of the uh, town was jewish so i grew up um, knowing the holidays and the food (laughs) and going to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and um you know didn't Understand and realize I was Chinese until yeah. I moved to San Francisco. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't brought up with all those yeah. traditions like yeah. the red egg and ginger uh, <laughs> parties, and everything was new to me. Uh, but um, I played sports mm-hmm. growing up, junior high and high school. I played four sports, and I really enjoyed team sports. Me too. Of course, I played the piano mm-hmm. <laughs> and was in the band and the orchestra, and yeah. I actually started. A band in junior high called the Banana Splits, where Um, I played the drums, I know. (laughs) It's something that people don't know about me. love it. Yeah. Uh, And then um, was very active with Brownies and Girl Scouts, and I think that instilled Mm -hmm. this sense of giving back Mm -hmm. um, the greater community, getting badges for doing good things. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks in public uh, service um, have a similar background and um, went to the Rochester Institute of Technology mm, because mm-hmm. they had a specific CPA accounting mm. curriculum program and my parents growing up wanted us to be one of the lead professions lawyer engineer accountant or a doctor mm-hmm. so I am an accountant my brother is an engineer <laughs> and my younger sister is now a newly minted chiropractor oh, so oh my, my parents have like done <laughs> their job
0: that's great yeah
1: um, graduated uh, started my professional career with one of the big eight accounting firms Mm -hmm. in San Francisco Mm -hmm. because my mother is the only child uh, of uh, a minister Mm. and so she would basically follow Mm -hmm. wherever the church was that my grandfather um, got situated in so that's how they ended up from Canada to New York to San Francisco and so we kind of followed that path too so um, got my first job in San Francisco Uh, with Ernst and Winnie Mm -hmm. in the real estate tax group, stayed five years, Mm -hmm. uh, got my CPA exam, did my master's in taxation from Golden Gate University, Mm -hmm. and then decided to quit and start my own practice. My job was to represent more women in minority businesses, look for contracting opportunities and testify. And yeah, at the local level, I went to Sacramento to testify and Um, I also noticed, again, not many women, not many minorities in elected office. And even though small business is the backbone of our economy, politicians don't campaign on small business. They don't uh, propose small business legislation. They don't vote for small businesses. And so that's where uh, my start in uh, public service started at 28. Then I got a job with John Burton the great John Burton. He was an assembly member at the time, and I didn't think I was gonna get the job because number one, I didn't grow up in San Francisco. I had no political experience. <laughs> I spoke very little Chinese, and I said, why would he hire me? And he ended up hiring me. <laughs> so that really kind of ignited everything for me. So you got the bug then. Yes, um, but I wanted to work full time for him. Yeah. And my parents were like, please don't embarrass us. <laughs> Being an accountant (laughs) is an honorable profession. Don't go into politics, right? They were born in China. China, you don't get involved in politics. I've
0: lived around the world, I get it. Exactly,
1: so we made a deal, and I worked for him for two and a half days in his district office helping constituents with all the fun issues. Franchise Tax Board, State Board of Equalization, Exciting. EDD, <laughs> workers' compensation. Ooh. Yeah, and I think it's because no one else wanted to do That's those right. issues, and I didn't know any better. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. sure, yeah. that sounds fun to me. Yeah, So I did that for seven and a half years. Oh, wow. In the meantime, I got very active with campaigns um, because I had the accounting skills, I yeah. did a lot of pro bono tax filings for candidates who were running. Um, I Started my own Democratic Club, the West Side Chinese Democratic Club. Uh, joined every board, was a member, <laughs> did you know everything to uh, try to prepare. I thought yeah, I wanted learn. to run. Yeah. I wanted to run for office. And I would go back. Every couple of years, my parents say, I want to run for office. And my parents would say, please, don't do that. Please go get your master's, your MBA. So I went to Pepperdine awesome. close by. Yeah. And Uh, Did my executive MBA program. I finished that after 18 months. My parents said, what do you think? And I said, I still think I want to run for office. I want to serve. I want to help people, you know. And they said, "Um, okay, well, you're 34. We'd like you to get married. Your brother's waiting for you. And I said, okay, I'll get married. And I got married. I said, okay, mom and dad, I've done everything you want all all of your life. I've never been disrespectful, never talked back, never got in trouble, got straight A's and everything. And I said, please just bless me. And they finally said, all right, if you want to do that, we're going to move to Las Vegas. And they left. (laughs) Good luck. And that was the first time. Yes. (laughs) And that was the first time I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do.
0: Well, and this is a good, you know, everybody on the show, I always ask, at what point did you start to decipher between will and ego and intuition and gut was it maybe in this moment when you finally had the space to hear your own voices and maybe it was sooner
1: well i think growing up because um, my grandfather was a minister you Mm -hmm. go to church you know the Mm -hmm. doctrinations Mm -hmm. and um, having parents who were kind of strict and growing up in a a nice uh, community um, intuition was you know part of growing up Mm -hmm. and listening Mm -hmm. to intuition Mm -hmm as a CPA, obviously, there's a lot of uh, tests, and we have to take ethics every two Mm -hmm. years. And so you're always reminded, Mm -hmm. right, of Mm -hmm. trying to do the right thing. And in politics, it got a little fuzzier, Mm -hmm. right? Because politics is not about written rules, necessarily, but people. Yes. uh, And pressure, and stakeholders, and wishes, and wants, and needs. Um, And I think where I started to feel more comfortable about listening to my intuition was when I got elected to the State Assembly in 2006. 2006. So so this is uh, eight years after working for John Burton Mm -hmm. as a CPA, being elected to the Board of Supervisors for four years where it was really tough I always say the San Francisco Board of Supervisors is like the game show survivor. Mm -hmm. No permanent friends or enemies. Everyone's trying to throw each other off the island Mm -hmm. for a million dollars. Mm -hmm. And when I finally got elected to the state assembly is when I started to trust my intuition more. But of course, I always am interested, right? I read. I listen to podcasts and the radio. I read the newspaper. I ask people. I research, you know, whatever I can um, get my hands on before I make a decision. But um it now my intuition versus my ego i think i tried to listen more to it's like th- the good angel and the devil yeah. right the yeah. angel says oh of course do the right thing this is it's <laughs> natural and then the devil's like wait a minute but if you do this it's going to maybe mean this or people are going to be mad and you know right. so worry fear worry yeah <laughs> and double you know double talking and yeah. and doubting and you know how is it going to impact you know your career in politics and yeah. for people like me in politics um, it's about getting elected yeah. it's about public perception yeah. it's about um, acceptance you know and yeah. and and trying to make the right decision even though maybe half the city or half the state <laughs> is against you right
0: <laughs> well I'm so glad you just said that because one of the questions I have for you is. Um, how do you handle it when you know your gut is telling you to do something take a position make a decision and you share it and it is frowned upon yeah or you have to upset somebody or you have to disappoint somebody or you have to disagree with somebody how do you hold your own while still being that gatherer and that team builder that you are et cetera?
1: this business is all about (laughs) all of those things and at some point um it still bothers me if folks write something negative in in the newspaper and perhaps they take your comments out of um out of context but um that is the business and you learn so for me i always try to uh back up um, when there's a tough issue i try to go out there and research and i talk to people and um so when i do make a decision, I also try to be very transparent about why I'm voting a certain way.
0: Yeah, factual.
1: Based on facts Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, data and analysis. mm -hmm. Um,
0: I actually wrote a question for you because I could tell that about you. I mean, CPAs are generally very data-driven, right? I'm very close to my CPA, he's brilliant. Um, So the question is, in a data-driven world, which we're in right now, how does your intuition guide your approach? Approach towards processing the data which path to take you know anybody can gather data but how one actually processes and synthesizes data yeah. is a real gift and a real skill so how does your intuition, It's like you can use this processing chip up here it's right. a beautiful brain mm-hmm. but then you have to do something with the data how do you sit and gather it and and choose the path forward
1: yeah I'm you know you you have to synthesize it and you have to feel it and a lot of times I always tell folks um, in this business if you can't sleep at night then it's probably not the right decision like at 4 o'clock in the morning if you wake up and you're like my god like this is bothering me it's not the right decision for you right so we have to listen more to that but um, I do believe intuitively I will maybe take a position and I will try to back it up with the facts. But yeah. sometimes I change. Yeah. After talking to people, I, I call experts. So yeah. I have a big network, I like to meet people, I have a big Rolodex, I will call whoever I can about a specific topic and get their opinion. And yeah. invariably, there's gonna be differences of opinion as well. Yeah. But how strong are the differences, right?
0: Well, and that's a very good point, you know, because people will say, how does intuition work, Meg? I mean. Is it is it just, are you a future teller? And I say, no, actually, intuition is in the moment and in the moment and in the moment and in the moment. So it's yeah. not about being fickle or changeable or wishy washy. Yeah. It's about listening to your gut and yourself, your heart, moment to moment. <laughs> right.
1: But also going out and, and learning. So yeah. I'll give you an example. Yeah. I asked to sit on the agriculture committee in the assembly. Um, because I really knew nothing about agriculture, right? Growing up in Long Island, living in San Francisco, I thought yeah. food came from Safeway. <laughs> so
0: um, Now you're like, oh, food security is serious. Well, yes, so <laughs> I have
1: done over 100 tours now of different Good agriculture. California produces about 400 different agricultural products, and yeah. we are feeding yeah. um, the nation, feeding the world.
0: Yeah. At one and point, I because I was in green packaging for 11 years, The statistic that we used in the industry was that 84% of the country's produce comes from California. Mm -hmm. Now, that was probably 5, 10 years ago, but it's an enormous amount.
1: Yes. Enormous amount.
0: Nobody knows that. And
1: we have the highest standard. People trust uh, the quality and safety of California-grown products. And so now, I mean, but you hear the fights about water.
0: Oh, yeah. Who's Big using time.
1: water? Who's yeah. wasting water? Yeah. And who's so, polluting the water. Who's polluting the water, right? And yeah. so, I had to go out for myself and talk to people, watch, figure it out. Yeah. And I've come up with my own now um, truth or the reality. Yeah. Some people may not like it, but when I tell them I've done 100 tours, <laughs> Then I don't know how they're going to doubt me unless they've <laughs> done 101 tours and they come up with something different, right? right? So that so makes sense. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I get a little respect, I think, when yeah. I, um, you know, vote or talk about certain topics because I think I've tried to really research and back it up.
0: Yeah, I like that very much about you. So, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, But so much of the innovation and creativity that drives our economy struggles to get funding. How are you, um, what is your position on helping the middle market and smaller markets get more funding for innovation and creativity and problem solving, especially related to environment, water, food? What are you thinking?
1: So this is where I always start when (laughs) I meet with groups and they go, well, how do we get funding? Or how come nobody's listening to us? Right? I always say, do you know your elected officials?
0: And most people say, nope.
1: Right. (laughs) And I said, well, that's where a lot of the policy starts, Mm. either at the federal level, state level, or local level. That's where the funding is a lot of times that goes into the budget. But if you never go and meet and talk to your elected official, tell them about the situation, um, ask for more funding, um, invite them, and I'll give you an example. I met with um, school administrators the other day, and they said, how should should we get more involved? Like, why don't legislators understand that we need more money for schools? And I say, no, we understand. But sometimes we don't understand your job. And I said, one of the most important lessons I learned is to be invited to be a principal of the day when you go and you shadow a principal at either an elementary, a junior high, or a high school, you understand how difficult their job is. It's not just about a classroom, but it is about managing. And I said, that's what you guys all need to do is get more involved, invite elected officials to your office, to your farm, to your business, whatever it is, and show us what it is. Because sometimes learning by seeing Um, is very very important uh, yeah. for us, so that's what I kind of give advice to. But yes, we need money. There's, uh, there's, you know, everyone's fighting for resources, right? So how do you get your issue at the top of the agenda? And yeah. Yeah. right now, affordable housing,
0: major issue. Yes, and yep. it's
1: it's taken years, but I think yep. after uh, redevelopment went away. Um, that made the situation worse. Yeah. Um, the fact that uh, the economy is getting better, fifth largest economy, people wanna live here, yes. but they can't necessarily live close to their home. Yeah. Transportation, public transportation, takes a long time to build. Yeah. So it's coming to a head now. And yeah. so yeah. that's kinda what happens is when everybody starts complaining about it, it rises to the top and that's where yeah. you know we're passing bills and we're allocating more money and everybody's focused on it. Like how are we gonna get more housing? Um, created uh, in California so um, same thing with all of these different projects that people have like what is it that we need to do more of and then when you get more folks engaged and supporting is when we get more funding for these type of projects
0: yeah well that makes perfect sense and you know I've been a business builder and designer I originally worked in international development I got a master's focusing on, on ecotourism, international development, but it was uh, from the School of Business and Public Management in Washington DC. Um, and it was it's been really interesting to go at solutions a- as an NGO, to go at solutions working for the government, to go at solutions in the private sector, to go at solutions in the, <laughs> in the nonprofit sector. The only thing I have not done, I haven't been an educator. I haven't been an official teacher, but, you know, I'm very interested in uh, politicians like you that have that whole systems thinking that really go out and learn and get their hands dirty and really listen to people and really go, wait, I'm missing the dots. Hold on. I got to connect the dots before I take a decision, you know, and and it's very. Really, it's a personality type. It's not just a good politician or a bad politician. It's a human being that's a whole systems thinker is going to be a very fair problem solver. So I'm very excited about your role and, and what could be in your career.
1: But I think... People are in silos, right? Government yeah. is in silos. The yeah. nonprofits are in silos. Business is in silos. The yeah. private sector. Like, yeah. if we can bring people together, and I love to convene yeah. stakeholder meetings and, you know, policy papers, and how do we kind of bring everyone together so that we're working together and maybe leveraging yeah. um, all of our strengths instead of just fighting and saying, well, we're funding them, but they're not doing anything with it, so we're going to move the money now because yeah. they didn't do anything. Well, did they know about the funds Um, are we helping them apply is it easy for them right Right. The processes sometimes the fees sometimes cost a lot so you know it's 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 a combination of a lot that we really should work more collaboratively together
0: um so we were just talking about the silos and how businesses silo governments in a silo and often politicians are in a silo and What I'm really fascinated about is how different industries can grow as they green, or as they become more socially responsible. So, you know, instead of dairy industry or oil industry being fearful of losing market share, it's really an opportunity to get innovative ideas, new technology, new partners, new distribution channels, and build a lot of new jobs. So, you know, what I gather from you talking with you today You very much have abundance mentality. You're very much, of course we can, yes. And often so many leaders have lack mentality, you know, are worried about their piece of the pie and worried about their gross profit margin instead of really taking a long-term picture for multiple partners and multiple growth and multiple streams of income. Um, So what do you have to say about that and really... Your role in breaking down the silos and getting different energy, different industries to create jobs.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, for public policy, it starts with perhaps uh, a mandate. So today, mm-hmm. Governor Brown signed SB one hundred, which was Kevin Leon's bill, that is setting a goal to phase out fossil fuels in electricity by twenty forty five. Awesome. So that is. A very high goal, yeah. a very high mandate. But when you do set mandates, that starts to bring everyone to the table. Mm-hmm. How are we going to meet those mm-hmm. uh, goals? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it starts with public policy, sometimes it starts with funding. That people want to fund certain things, but mm-hmm. they want people to come to the table um, and get together. And, you know, it's either money mm-hmm. or a mandate but i think naturally people tend to do their own thing like yeah. as long as they you know their nonprofit is is meeting its goals and they're raising enough money they're happy if yeah. government is you know paying its bills and the economy's fine that's fine so <laughs> so you know sometimes i think it starts with some sort of catalyst to bring people together
0: yeah yeah well and there's so much to do um improvement wise in this country not just our state but infrastructure and water issues and food issues and so it's i love the i love the saying if you want something done ask a busy woman to do it (laughs) (laughs) and so i love that you are here in the middle and um can really pull the different pieces together that it will take to improve california's uh quality of life for everybody everybody
1: well, for me, I mean, I can always go back and be an accountant. Yep. I can always go back and do people's yep. taxes. Yeah, You know, if people don't want to <laughs> vote for me, then I have another option. Yeah. Uh, for some folks, this is their whole life yes. and they cling on. And I think when people um, are too concerned with, you know, one thing, they lose focus. And so for me, great, I try great. to mentor uh, more folks to take over my job. Um, I have had over a thousand interns come through my office because I want them to understand that yeah. public service is about government and serving the people, not the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it starts sometimes from the bottom up and so I just, um, you know, hopefully we elect those type of people who are open-minded and want to get things done and not yeah. just take a seat and just wait it out.
0: Yeah. Well, an intuition also includes being a really good listener you know, a lot of people just talk and talk and talk and talk over people, and they don't even listen to themselves. So how can they really listen to another <laughs> person? We had um, very, very extreme weather. I'm I'm sure you're quite aware of what's happening in California with all the fires. And we had quite, um, I'm not sure if it's the largest anymore, but at the time, this winter, it was 280,000 acres burned. Mm-hmm. And then we had major rains, and it created debris flows. So mm-hmm. Um, I usually talk about it on the show and you have a take that no other guest has had and you are actually someone that can really look at risk management and really look at environmental issues and go, "Okay, how do we plan ahead now? How do we how do we plan so this doesn't happen again? Yeah. What do we do with our resources?" to organize, you know, more mitigation and less risk. Yeah.
1: So, again, I think that is a priority with uh, many of the legislators, um, as well as Governor Brown, where he has allocated more money for Mm -hmm. that type of, um, you know, fire management prevention. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's, you know, when you ask for, like, what are the solutions? Well, um, I think you have to come back to, you know, why it's so hot these days (laughs) and why the winds are blowing (laughs) at 60 miles an hour. And, you know, it goes back to global warming and and climate change, right? So are we going to be serious about mitigating those so that we could mitigate the fires and and the floods and all the other natural, yeah, and drought Mm -hmm. and natural disasters that are happening? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, we can only do so much Mm -hmm. as human beings. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can make sure, right, we're um, not, you know, Mowing our lawns and 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 cutting overwatering. down, yeah, overwatering. Well, we can't overwater because we don't have water. <laughs> um, but you know, are, are we, um, you know, invasive species? You know, the weeds that grow very fast but also die very quickly. Are we, you know, clearing those? Um, building standards. Are yeah. we using better? Uh, building materials, maybe that are, are more fireproof. Yes. Um, are we mandating that? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of things we can do as humans, but again, these fires start from many different causes. Right. Uh, from a cigarette butt to, you know, uh, a barbecue pit to uh, mm-hmm. lightning um, mm-hmm. to poles electrical poles mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. my husband's a firefighter he's on all these fires and I always ask him so how did it start and he's like well you know it's different mm-hmm. things so there's not one thing that we can mitigate against because we don't know yeah. um, what it is that's going to start it but as humans we can be more caref- careful we can do our part too yeah
0: yeah, and, and it is a whole system solution. It's not one thing. It's not one person that's going to do all mm-hmm. the risk management, you know, th- by a good policy. It's all of us taking more responsibility. Okay. Did your husband come here for the that big
1: fire? Uh, well, he is a Ventura County firefighter. So he was born and raised in Oxnard, mm-hmm. and he now is part of the federal uh, okay. team. Okay. So when there are big wildfires, mm-hmm. he gets sent out uh, to um, to help dispatch, um, just like Gosh. all the other nine one one responders from either California or all over the United States. So, um, it's, it's not easy, you know. No. We're always watching. You know, is it spreading? Yeah. Is is the wind gonna? You know, you know, yeah. I- increase or is it gonna die? Is it gonna um, rain yeah. tonight? Is there gonna be moisture? I mean, the weather. Watching the weather also, I think, is important. And he reminded me to tell people just to. Uh, watch um, and listen. You yeah. know, you have to get ready um, and be ready. And then, if there's a time for evacuation, you have to be ready to go. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. people should heed evacuation warnings when um, w- when they come, and not say, "Oh, we'll just wait it out," because yes. that obviously is not that safe. That
0: did not go well for. Yes some folks well talk about intuition I was getting the intuition that we were gonna have a a big problem an earthquake a fire so Mm -hmm. and my girlfriend who's a nurse and much less intuitive um, overtly she's like yeah I I feel something too so we stockpiled food water medicine and firewood (laughs) in both of our garages three weeks before it happened (laughs)
1: <laughs> and
0: and we had everything we needed because we got trapped in Summerland for almost two weeks oh my god both sides of the freeway had debris flows we couldn't go we couldn't leave couldn't get food
1: so did you band together as community and, and share was, and
0: of course we had more than enough to share and oh see. I mean it's it was really a bonding experience yeah. um, I was also in um, Washington, D.C. during 9-11 and the Pentagon and the Sniper and Anthrax. We have a mutual friend, Daryl Park. That's where we all met as a group of friends during that crazy bonding, interesting time on the East Coast. Where were you during
1: 9-11? Uh, 9-11, I was here in California. That was a good place uh, to and be. <laughs> I, I remember I, I lived with my parents, and I remember I came up into the kitchen, and my dad was watching TV and like, tears. Yeah which oh, yeah. is streaming. I've never seen him like that. And I was like, Dad, what's wrong? And like, on the TV was, you know. Yeah. Um, and my husband, actually, after 9-11, he decided to come back uh, from Texas to um, uh, be a firefighter. His father was uh, with the Oxnard City Fire for many, many years. Wow. And he decided, you know, he needed a, to come back and, and get involved and do something. And so, you know, sometimes situations prompt us to do yep. a little bit more. Get off yep. the couch, yep. right? And yep. step up, even though it's outside your comfort zone.
0: Yes. Yes. So um, how have you, as a woman, as a leader, as a highly intuitive woman and leader, how have you empowered your staff, your team to listen to, be better listeners, be more intuitive, trust themselves, you know, create their own career path. Because yes. I'm sure you mother all of these.
1: <laughs> I do, I do. Not having kids myself, yeah. everybody is like yeah. my, my children. <laughs> uh,
0: I could sense that about you. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, well, I think my management style, I am not a hands-on uh, manager. Mm-hmm. I want to hire people who are highly motivated, mm-hmm. who are confident, who um, have goals. Mm-hmm and can work independently. If I have to watch someone and uh, tell them what they have to do every day and make sure they come in at nine o'clock and do their work, I mean, that is not the type of person that I like to hire. (laughs) Uh, Coincidentally, now, uh, most of my staff, nine out of 10 are women.
0: Awesome. You. And that's fine. But people
1: say, Hey, what are you doing to equalize, right? Yeah. Um, equity, equal pay, yeah. equal rights. I say, Well, I decide my chief of staff is a woman. Nine out of ten of my staff are women. Yeah. I pay them well, I try to promote them. I encourage them to go out. If yeah. you know if there's other opportunities, all my staff, other opportunities that you can't get here, go. Yeah. Um, and you will always be part of I call them the Moss squad. <laughs> So they're always part of my family, uh, no matter where they go. Um, but I want them to grow as people. And yeah. I know when they go out, uh, they're still going to be part of me. And yeah. they're still going to be helping and moving the world um, together. And I can always call on them, no matter where they are, yeah. when I need them you know, to help. With legislation, or to help with an issue, or help constituents,
0: and that creates a long-term base of true friends and comrades. I mean, I I heard one day in the boardroom, "Everybody's replaceable," somebody said, and I said oh no they're not every single person is unique and if you can help unlock their gifts and uniqueness you'll have a friend and an ally for life yes
1: (laughs) and I worked for John Burton as I said and John Burton never fired anybody Uh. because he just thought it was bad karma (laughs) Um, so when we um, have someone that maybe is is not doing well maybe it's not a good fit for the person but everyone has strengths So can we match up their strengths with a job? Maybe they don't like to sit at a desk and we're forcing them to sit at a desk every day. Well, let them go out. Let them, you know. (laughs) um, There are other things. Yes, there's other things as as the job. And so that's what we try to do is really try to match. And I treat my family, um, I treat my staff like my family. And I think a lot of politicians um, don't have that attitude. I agree. But they can make you or they can break you and honestly uh, my staff I we do a lot together I trust them we we eat together we bond together take trips together Um, but that I think is is very important um, for me yeah Uh, and folks in politics I always say that treat your staff better than your own family (laughs) you can yell at you know your husband your husband will still be there but you yell at your staff Mm.
0: They'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) that.
1: Or they can file something against you, right? Right,
0: right. Well, so every show, um, we have a call to action. And I love when the guest does it. So I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you can talk about November 6th. You can inspire them to read a book. You can, whatever your call to action is that you want to share with the audience, please
1: do so. Yeah. So um, I heard today on the radio, um, coming over here, that... People um, may not vote on November 6th. And I go, really? <laughs> really? Less people are going to vote? Voting is an honor. Yeah. It is a privilege. It decides who is going to be making those decisions. And when I hear people are apathetic, um, that they're not going to vote, um, that to me just like makes me really, really sad. Yeah. So um, government is for the people. Yeah. We get elected by the people. Don't give that away. Yeah. And so for me, a call to action is just get more involved. Step up. There's so many things you can do uh, for, um, for the community, for yeah. society, uh, for the betterment. And you know, I just would encourage people just to, to get off their couch, yeah. right? And do <laughs> a little bit more for someone or something. And do not, I, I, please vote. Please vote. Please vote on November 6th.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. That is a very good call to action. And thank you for your time today. I so appreciate our conversation. And I just want to give special thanks to Sandbox of Santa Barbara for hosting and filming this. Um, Aniracom for their production and creative support, and their marketing and distribution expertise. Bye for now, this is Megan Joy Havrida, your host of One Hour of Sunshine. See you in two weeks for the next show.
1: And thank you, Daryl Park.
0: Thank you, Daryl Park. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great.